Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Elaine Fraze, a farm family transition expert from Canada. Growing up, I really didn't realize how much there is that goes into a farm transition or how complex and challenging it can be. But as we're kind of having those conversations with our own farm, it's pretty clear how important some of that guidance can be. And Elaine, you've worked with farms all over the place and have done this. And so I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation with you. So thanks so much for joining me and welcome to the Herd Quitter podcast. Really happy to finally be here, Jared. Yeah, yeah. No, I am too. It's I, I mentioned to you beforehand, it's funny. I like to try and kind of space out when I hear a guest. I'm like, this is an awesome guest, but I shouldn't just get him on next week because it'll be clearly copying him. Well, it's been hard with you because you're on almost every podcast every week. You're a, you're a popular person, which has been fun. And, and it's an honor well, to I have think, you here. I think the reason is because farm transition is at the top of yeah. everybody's radar. And unfortunately, I think it's keeping quite a few folks awake yeah. at night. So hopefully our conversation today will be uh, practical and helpful to a lot of families and they'll spread the word that uh, yeah. it's a journey and everybody can have a better journey than maybe the one they're on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. It, it's it's definitely one that a lot of people are facing and, and struggling with. So I'm looking forward to it. But before we dive into that conversation, I'm curious, uh, who is Elaine? Where Where is your, what's your background? How did you get into doing what you're doing today? Um, well, I'll give you the short version. I've always been a farm kid. I grew up on a mixed farm just outside of the city of Winnipeg, really close to Dougald, Manitoba in the Red River Valley. I'm the oldest of five, have a degree in home economics, which brought me to work for the Department of Agriculture as what you would call in the U.S. an extension county agent uh, for six years in the late 70s, early 80s, when interest rates were 19%. And I fell in love and got married to a local farmer, and we have a 5,000-acre certified seed farm. Mm. Fast forward a few decades, my son, our son is 35 and he and his wife and beautiful grandchildren live right next door. So I am also mother to a successor, co-owner of a 5,000 acre seed farm. Our son has bought out the, the certified seed business. So we are also in that part of our succession plan. And my my coaching, Jared, started way back in the mid 90s when um as a per diem, when I was raising young children, then they asked me to take my flick chart to kitchen tables as a follow-up to transition and estate planning courses that the, the government department was providing. And that's just the way I'm wired. So in 2003, I took a plane to Santa Barbara, California, and went there four times to get my certification as a, a coach. And I've been writing for almost three decades, have five books speaking all over North America and Canada. And it's my passion really to help farm families find harmony through understanding. So Elaine from Boys of Ain, you can find me at farmfamilycoach.com. And I'm aging in place just like many of your listeners are. So I'm now 66 and I will be continuing to do this work in different ways. And I'm starting a membership site too, so that I can reach out and have more impact of more people. Hmm. 
So I'm wired for communication and empathy and lifelong learning and have had two succession plans with each set of parents, my family of origin, my in-laws, and now, of course, with my my own family. So I'm on my third one. So I've had lots of practice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, phenomenal. I, I wonder how many people in this kind of career field have had the wealth of experience, not just in working with others, but in the actual transitioning of businesses like yourself. You've dealt right. with this. And I, I, I also want to add that it was part of my training to take a 22-day certificate uh, in conflict resolution and mediation, which has become very helpful because I also spent 10 years as a federal mediator with the farm debt mediation service mm. back in those years when farm debt was a huge issue and people were losing their farms and mm -hmm. having to renegotiate terms with their creditors. So, and as a home economist, people will say, well, what kind of degree does that help? And Home economists are trained to be really good decision makers and understand process and understand quality of life for families. So the work I do with my team, I now have uh, successors of my own as coaches. The work I do as a team is really geared on quality of life. And so I want people to enjoy and thrive on their farms. And so I, I delve into a lot of the communication and conflict pieces that I don't think your lawyer or your accountant is really comfortable about facilitating some hard conversations. Yeah. I think we're a good team. And we, my goal is for everyone listening to build a really good team of advisors because each advisor has a different skill set that will help you get what you've always wanted in terms of moving your transition plan forward. Yeah. Well, that's been my understanding of this kind of whole transition conversation is a lot of people will go to their CPAs and to their lawyers and attorneys and thinking that they'll have the answers, but that's, they're, they're wired to maybe help you when you have the answer, when you have the goal, they can make it legally come through. But a lot of people just don't even know what that destination should be. And maybe that's kind of where you help with. Well, and, and if, if you can just visualize right now, a really nice, big gray tin oil funnel, because okay. this is the word picture I like to use. I'm at the top of the funnel with my coaching team because we want to figure out three clarity of expectations mm -hmm. around roles and responsibilities on the family circle side and the farm side, the, the family and the business. And then we also want to figure out timelines and certainties of agreements by when do these things happen. And then we also want to say, we want to talk about action. So we're up here gathering all this sort of holistic information around intentionality for how the family goes forward with their relationship to the farm and what the business vision is for the farm business. And, and quite frankly, is it viable? Is it is, are the finances there to support one, two, three or more families, however many people are expecting to be part mm -hmm. of the business? And then if you take that big tin funnel, Jared, and go to the nozzle part, that's where the lawyers and accountants yeah. should be showing up. That's the tactical stuff, because you'll come to one of my seminars and I'll say, well, Elaine, I was expecting to get tax efficiency and financial data. I said, hey, Charlie, you're in totally the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what I'm going to talk about is going to help you a lot more, yeah. Yeah. give you more money. Because what lawyers typically say when they meet my families that I've coached on family meetings for three or four hours, they say, oh my goodness, you people really know what you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Because yes. they've had an opportunity to figure it out first and to deal with the tears and to deal mm -hmm. with the what ifs and to deal yeah. with the dad, you have no idea what I want because you don't listen to what I want. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not picking on dads, but you know, there are a lot of farmers, Jared, listening to this who are pretty stuck in it's my farm and it's my yeah. way. It's yeah. my my way or the highway. And that kind of mindset is not helping agriculture. Procrastination and conflict avoidance is killing ag. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just a good place to jump off then. I mean, if that's one of the initial barriers, how do you ever make progress if if there's, I don't know what you, the patriarch, the, the top dog, I guess, in the farm who's stubborn, set in their ways, how do you even start to make progress when they're in their own head so much or something there? Well, and, and again, it it's a mindset. I, I have a slide on my deck that says mindset shift. And so I want to talk about the culture of agriculture. So what do you believe to be true? Do you believe that the next generation can manage and not screw up and take the whole farm to rack and ruin? Because that's a a genuine fear of the older people, right? So that's, that's a valid fear, but it's not valid, Jared, when your son or daughter has been back from college for 11 years and she's run the farm beautifully. And when is it her turn to have some equity? And when is it her turn to get some management compensation right so there's a lot of i i'm a little irish in my dna i have a uh, my husband's of the mennonite and f- background ethnicity and faith <laughs> i grew up scottish irish and german so you can imagine you know the the style of communication in my family and i'm very direct and i as a coach i'm not here to be liked mm-hmm. i'm here to ask hard questions yeah. but not only that i'm here to help you learn to communicate. And so we we follow the map of uh, Dr. Marshall Rosenberger, who wrote this amazing book called Nonviolent Communication. So with the older generation, what I observe is they're tired, but they're also afraid and they're somewhat humiliated, Jared. Hmm. And the humiliation comes with the fact with, ooh, we should have put more in the personal wealth bubble because all our wealth is tied up in this farm. Ouch, I don't want to sell land. I don't want to take stuff out of here to go personal, right? And so they need to come up with a financial planner. They need to find out what is their income stream going to be from the personal wealth side or from the farm side. Mm -hmm. Another thing they're concerned about is who am I if I can't call myself the main person anymore? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of identity issues. And for women, the women who've given their best 40 or 50 years on a farm or ranch, when do they get what they've? what they've put aside for the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so the question that comes up, when is it your wife's turn or her turn to get what she's always wanted? Well, Elaine, you're fired. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that question. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a dance. It's, it's called the polarity, Jared. So a polarity is an issue or a problem that never goes away. It has to be managed. And quite frankly, this is not a roundup solution. I'm not going to give you 10 tips on this podcast. This is how you have a fantastic transition and boom, then you're done. It's not that simple. Uh. No, because you're never done. Here's the yeah. newsflash. Your transition, and I say transition instead of succession, your transition journey is a journey and it's never really done until you're dead because then it becomes an estate plan. And a transition plan, to be clear to your listeners, is a transition of labor which happens quickly when young backs and young bodies and young energy come back to the farm. Secondly, the transition of management. And that's where we get some butting of heads. Mm -hmm. Dad won't let me put in tile drainage or irrigation pivots, and he won't try a new variety of corn or soybeans or put something else in the rotation or regenerative egg. He doesn't want to hear about it. Well, that's the issue, right? Mm -hmm. Is 
what is the vision for this farm? And are you allowed to make decisions collaboratively? Because on our farm, quite frankly, my, my son, my husband has a plant science degree. My son has a diploma in agriculture. But the beautiful thing that I enjoy is watching them make decisions collaboratively, mm -hmm. but they're wired differently mm -hmm. and they have complementary different personal styles as well as our three other employees. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's important for people to understand that different is not wrong. Yeah. It's just different. And how do you want to capture all this energy and innovation to make what the next chapter of agriculture 4.0 looks like on your farm? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked how you, you talked about, you, you asked those tough questions and a couple of those ones you asked, you know, like the father's financial capability. And I, I think it's really interesting and a good point to think about the wife too. I really, I, I like that getting her, her time. And it just, it, it, my brother and I were just having a conversation yesterday. I love chatting with him about business and financing and or finances and stuff like that. And we were talking about how for so many people, we, we're having this conversation around debt and oftentimes yes. the debt can be so big and so overwhelming that it's like, well, it's easier to just not tackle it and to just keep going, you know, <laughs> to just bury your head in the sand. And a lot of times that's probably the same mindset we have with some of these big challenging questions that, well, you know, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to ask it. It's too complicated. So we'll just keep on going just the way it avoiding. is. Right. Yes. But I want to, I want to give a practical tip for the young farmers listening to this, Jared. Want every young farmer and rancher listening to this to go to their lender of choice and take their personal net worth statement and say, if I was to buy some equity into my, my parents' farm business, how much am I good for? And I had a young farmer in Saskatchewan do this with uh, Farm Credit Canada. And in the States, you have farm credit and you yeah. have all different kinds of, of different banking system, which is different from Canada. Mm -hmm. The point is... You need financial transparency. And if you want to leverage debt on your farms and have good debt, you need to have a plan for leveraging equity to have debt, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I use my own son as an example. He was 21 when his landlord broke the lease. And he said, Ian, you need to pay me $220,000 by next Friday for this piece of land because I'm, I'm, I'm cashing out. And Ian comes to me and goes, mom, I need $100,000 by next Friday. I said, great, we're going to give you a piece of land that we were, were going to gift to you anyway, which is a quarter section that had a lower value because only half of it was arable. Well, wouldn't you know, he took that gift because now he has equity yeah. and to a young farmer's loan. And in Canada, you're a young farmer if you're under 40 years old, but you have to take advantage of these grants and programs and, and things when you can. Mm -hmm. So he did, and he was able to get a, a decent 2.5% mortgage rate or whatever. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know, five years later, the land across the road comes up for sale because of a divorce. But wouldn't you know, it's doubled in value. And that's mm -hmm. the deal, Jared, mm -hmm. is that the other argument or fight or condition of concern in agriculture today is the equity and the balance sheet grows and there's more zeros on the net worth statement. But that land that that farm is using and wanting to have access to is never going to be cashed out or sold if you want to keep the business intact. So the question for the young farmer is, what can they leverage as equity? Is it equipment? It is, is it their own little custom spraying or harvesting or silaging business that's an enterprise under the bigger umbrella of the larger farm. There's there's creative ways to do that. But when I made the comment on another podcast about asking young farmers how much debt they're willing to sleep with at night, 
the host said, well, Lane, I've never heard that question before. I said, absolutely. Because your parents cannot gift the entire farm to you unless they've got a huge personal wealth bubble that they're going to get 4% interest on of 2 million and live on 80 K a year, which is possible. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know your personal economic situation, Jared, but with you and your brother, having that financial transparency, you need to know that talking about money is not going to kill you. And it's a really good way to find out where people's fears are. Because my son manages money fairly decently, but his father doesn't spend any money on personal things. (laughs) So you have different people in a business with different personal money scripts and different ideas around capital investments. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, we drive new equipment and I'm, I don't, I always get informed and consulted. And I got, my first question is why are we doing this? And if you explain to me it's turnover, we need to upgrade, things are wearing out fine, but we are not buying new equipment just to look good and keep up with the Joneses because comparison to your neighbors is a joy stealer. And you have no idea what's really going on in the farm next door. Might look really pretty on the outside, but let me tell you, you have no idea what kind of debt they're navigating yeah. on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Playing, uh, keeping up with the Jones in agriculture is a pretty dangerous game. It's, it's. Yeah, don't, don't hop on that bus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is getting into some of the the nitty gritty stuff. So maybe we'll move. I want to talk about this kind of outline that we discussed a little bit before and these three keys that every farm needs to clarify before you can even really start to get into the nitty gritty because you can't make a decision on what the farm transition looks like until you have some of these questions answered. And, um, the three ones that, that you mentioned, if, if it's okay with you, we'll go through one at a time were income streams, yeah. you know, for everybody and expectations around housing and then, and then fairness with, I, I believe you were kind of talking about maybe off farm siblings and different things, how that all looks. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind, let's walk through those one at a time. And, and if we have time, okay. we can maybe dive into some so, of the, the stuff after so that. If, but. if you'd like to cruise the net, there's a great farm credit webinar. I like to refer people to, it's called two economists and a lender. It's sponsored by farm credit and it's about family living expenses jared Mm -hmm. because everybody needs to live well and they throw out numbers of many different states of what the cost of living for family living line should be and in my world as a home economist i've kept track for wes and i for over 35 40 years and we spend seventy-five thousand dollars a year on family living just for the two of us and we don't have uh large social life and we don't travel a lot when we do that's fine and that doesn't include our our giving our our charitable donations or our investments and why i'm saying this is because if you can just take a piece of paper and on the left hand side put farm assets and let's say your farm is worth um six million or 10 million which is pretty typical. That's yeah, that's not too hard yeah, to get there anymore. <laughs> not too hard to get to that number. Yeah. And then on the right-hand side, let's write down 2 million, which is personal assets, which I just mentioned earlier. So if you get a 4% return on $2 million of personal assets, things like your, your savings or your 401ks or your, in Canada, we would call them your RSPs or your stocks and bonds, personal investments, your private property, maybe lake house or something like that, private vehicles, anything like that. Or maybe you just got an inheritance from your grandmother. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you have to determine what do you and your spouse need to live well at the level you want to live at. 
And I've seen succession plans where the, the dad says, I will live on less than 30 grand a year. As long as I can stay in this house, the farm pays for most of this. And I get a new pickup truck every three years. Okay. But what, when mom, what happens when mom and dad become 80 and they need assisted living and their cost of living is now $4,000 a month per person. Right. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of talking through income streams is important for the younger farmers listening to this, because I don't want you to tell me, Jared, that you are only getting paid 40 grand a year mm -hmm. because that's not enough for your wife and family. And, and they'll say, well, Elaine, the farm pays for a lot of things. Fine. But if you're not being compensated fairly on your farm, you don't have disposable income to buy equity. You have no money to service debt because you're barely servicing your family, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's where my home ec training really comes into the forefront around, is this a reasonable expectation or is this a reasonable number? And then we have the off-farm income of the spouses, male or female. What happens when she goes on maternity leave? And in the US, your maternity leaves are not as rich as ours in Canada, where people can be off work for like a year, 18 wow. months. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And also what, what's the level of compensation during those mat leaves? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, we're talking about money because you need to buy groceries and you don't want to be crying when you don't have money for diapers. Cause yeah. those are personal stories that I've heard as a coach. Yeah. And then the housing piece is, are you going to move? I didn't have to move, but my, my son saved me $700,000 or whatever his house cost. It was North of 500. Um, because he built the new house. I did not. So who's building the new house or retrofit or retrofitting the farm next door that you've bought that has a, a yard site on it. Mm -hmm. Now those two conversations are very critical because that takes cash flow. Well, I, I'm curious on that income question again. And I think like one of the, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this idea of sweat equity. It, it okay. gets thrown around a lot and, and it mm -hmm. kind of can go with income. Oftentimes it's not defined though, you know, so I'll just turn it over to you. What, is, what are your thoughts on sweat equity when you're having this conversation around some sort of farm income, if it's not cash? Right. Yeah. So my question, Jared, is what were you promised mm -hmm. when you came back from college to the farm? <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Baker, bless him. He's with the Be beginning farmers club, university of Iowa. Iowa State, I think it is. I always get my university names mixed up for the U.S. because you have a certain way of saying them. <laughs> he has this, this um, spreadsheet, which we call Dr. Baker's tool, where he can compare you as a young man at 18 and then at 20, 25, 30, 35, whatever age you are now, and how the net worth of the farm has changed since you came back to the farm because it's called the successor effect. Because you came back, you help keep, create, and capture the wealth of your parents because you were also there. Sweat equity now has a new name. In 2023, we are calling it delayed compensation. Mm. So you were you were promised to have access to land or access to equipment or whatever for a certain price, which I might call fair family price instead of fair market value. So if I pay you $50,000 a year, but I should really be paying you 80, for five years, five times 30,000 is $150,000 of delayed compensation you did not get. Mm -hmm. You should have got that, but you didn't. And so in exchange for that $150,000 that I did not pay you, I am going to um, 
gift you a certain piece of land or a parcel of land or a piece of equipment or some kind of asset that is payment for that delayed compensation. Now I have a, an article called sweat equity, myth or reality and different people do it in different ways. So the other thing with farm families listening to this is many of you have a college education, which may have cost North of 150 or $200,000. And my friend who is a financial planner, Don McCannell up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, he says a marketable college degree is equivalent to the gift of $200,000. So maybe every child in your family has been given a vehicle, a down payment on their house, and uh, a college education that's marketable. So there's already been a transfer of wealth to the children. So does that count into their compensation? Is that their delayed compensation? And Dick Whitman, who many of you know from WhitmanConsulting.com, who's a wonderful friend of mine and very smart man. He's now in his 70s. He's stepping back without stepping away. But he has two tools in his management toolkit called the Compensation Worksheet. Because what else is the farm paying for besides your wage? Are they giving you internet, cell phone? Are they giving you a pickup truck with all the fuel that you want? Um, are they giving you quarters or full bodies of beef for your freezer? Do you have a place to park your horse and does the horse get fed for free? There's all these other things, Jared, that layer into what we call the farm perks mm -hmm. or what Whitman would call your compensation. Hey guys, today I want to give a shout out to Barn to Door, an all-in-one solution for farmers selling direct to consumer. My wife and I began working with them over three years ago, and Barnador really makes it so easy for us to manage all of our direct sales, both online and in person. And since we're eliminating the middleman, we also get to make some better margins. Barnador has helped us to increase sales for our farm business. And if you're looking to build a successful farm business with best-in-class training and support, I'd encourage you to check out Barnador. Go to www.barnador.com forward slash herdquitter, where you can learn more about our success. If you choose to sign up, you'll receive access to a free academy session as well, and that's a $99 value. Again, that is www.barn2door.com forward slash herdquitter, and I'll also throw that link in the show notes so you can just follow that. But now we'll get back to the show. And, and so listeners listening to this, just fire me an email and I'll send you Whitman's compensation hmm. sheets and I'll send you Dr. Baker's, what we call Dr. Baker's equity tool. Hmm. Yeah. And so you're kind of just saying there, the important thing is not to meet a certain number. It's just to have this discussion and make, figure out where you really do sit. And maybe you are being getting $40,000, but when you include all the extras, you're being compensated, or maybe you're only getting paid $40,000 in which case, and the, the vague promise of, you know, someday this will all be yours, which isn't really sweat equity. It's a no, and, and someday <laughs> this all will be yours is the biggest lie in agriculture. Yeah. And many of your listeners will know my friend Jolene Brown from Iowa. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. says a conversation is not a contract. Yeah. And so do you have anything written down in terms when we first started farming with Wes's parents, we had a beautiful thing called an operating agreement so that our income splitting when I first was a young married woman in my mother-in-law's house, because of course I lived in a house that I did not own for 11 years until we did our transition plan. My, our compensation was uh, first started out 60% to the parents, 40% to us. Then it became 50, 50. 
And then on July of June 16th of 1992, it became hundred percent ours and 0% theirs. Cause that's the day we bought the farm. Mm -hmm. And back in 1992, you could buy a farm yeah. uh, in 2023. Where are you going to come up with that 10 million? That's the $64 yeah. question, right? Yeah. So that's why these conversations are getting more and more intense, Jared. Mm -hmm. And there, when I mentioned the word before humiliation is that in a father or mother's heart of hearts, they have a desire for the legacy of the farmer ranch to continue. But what they haven't been smart about is paying attention to their own personal wealth and well-being. And as a coach, we take care of the parents first because they don't have time or opportunity cost of money on their side anymore to service debt as much as the young generation does. Yeah. But the older generation also remembers 1988 Mm -hmm. or 1982, right? Yeah. When I said yeah. I was getting 19% on my savings accounts and the millennials listening to this say, Elaine, quit talking about the eighties. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of have to, you kind of have to listen to the story yeah. because that's what Brene Brown calls. What is the story you're telling yourself? Is there scarcity on this farm yeah. or is there abundance on this farm? And on our farm, it's abundance. Even though we've gone through hard times, had hailstorms, made bad decisions on investments, da-da-da. Long story short, we're still in a better position yeah. than we would have been had we not done something to take mm -hmm. risk and manage that risk. Oh, that's that's interesting. I don't remember what book or podcast I heard this on where it talked about how much, there was some data that showed about how much we're impacted by the time phrase in which we kind of develop in those early years of life and stuff and how my dad was raised and started farming in the 80s versus me in the late 2000s and really some boom years and perspectives are totally different. And it's not that anybody is wrong, but when you're having conversations with that person, it's important to recognize where their mindset is coming from. And uh, or, to, or, to, or come from curiosity, Jared, yeah. and say, I'm just curious, are you still, are you still living in a scarcity mindset? I, my dad was born in 1926, which means in 1936, the height of the depression, he was 10 years old. Yeah, And he lived like that. He was very simple living mm -hmm. at very low needs, but he expected me to buy him his new car. Hmm. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's important. <laughs> it's important when you're getting pushback. And maybe this is a good spot in this podcast to talk about pushback. Is the pushback coming from something that they technically don't understand in their head? Like all the trust that you Americans love, like, oh, don't get me started on that. And <laughs> locking people up for generations down the road. Yeah. And you know, with, with, with agreements and things that don't give you the flexibility that you need as an entrepreneur. So, or a shareholders agreement or an LLC or a corporation or whatever that might be that you don't understand intellectually what that means, but then there's the heart issue. Like you might have a, dad might have a story that I do not want to pass debt on to my children. So I'm talking to a 75 year old who has $5 million of debt. And I said, Charlie, this is not a reasonable expectation that you're going to zero this five mil before you pass. Like, what's your plan here? Oh, Elaine, I don't want the next generation to have debt. I said, have you talked to them about what they would be willing to manage? No, of course not. Well, that's not helpful. Yeah. So there's emotional. It's I don't, I don't, I don't understand is in your head. I don't mm -hmm. like how this feels is in your heart. And then you go to your gut, Jared, which is the trust, right? And your intuition. Yeah. And we, a lot of us are intuitive and make gut filled decisions. And so there's trust issues. 
Can I trust you to manage this farm well? Can I trust you to make good financial decisions? Well, if you've been wise yourself and been a good mentor, things should go well. But if you're not a good teacher or mentor to your son or daughter, then you need to pull in a financial planner or an accountant who's very good at being a mentor or being an accountability partner to help you assuage the fears you have about financial failure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The different perspectives to weigh. Yeah, just the head, the heart, and the gut. Yeah, is it? And this is based on the book called "Why Don't You Want What I Want" by by Rick Maurer, who I studied over twenty years ago. And Rick knows me Mm -hmm. a little bit because I just I just simplified his work into head, heart, or gut. And for those of you who are four Hers listening, just do the four H pledge. I pledge my head to clear thinking. Do you think clearly about this? My heart to greater loyalty, my health to better service or my health to better living and my hands to larger service, right? So you you think about the dimensions of where this pushback is coming for what Mm -hmm. everybody wants. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're talking on the three things that we need to clarify before we can really move forward in a transition. And that income is that first one. And I'm curious more on, on a little bit more on that one then. So the things that, we really have to just get figured out if I'm understanding this correctly is how are the, how is the older generation going to live the rest of their life and make sure that their income streams for the next 20 to 30 years. Yes. Yes. Yep. And then make sure that the younger generation is being compensated fairly to not only survive, but to be able to have something to reinvest. Disposable income. Disposable income. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've accomplished that. We have and this is all assuming the farm is capable. Maybe this is a time and to ask then. And profitable. The, yeah. So if this farm, if we, if you're going through those questions and you come to the conclusion, this farm can't really generate the income needed for both generations, where does the conversation go from there? Is it end? To, very, to, a, book, to a book by Dr. Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. Hmm. So I had a young rancher who couldn't get along with his brother and the ranch wasn't going to support three families, only two. He left the ranch with his spouse and his dad actually gifted him a million dollars to start something new. And everybody would love to adopt that dad, right? I mean, that's amazing. But that's a true story, Jared. And and I'm sitting with another ranch family recently where this young man had a great trade and wanted to come back from the city. And I said, I'm sorry, but you can't. Your own brother who stayed here has been making all kinds of personal payments because your parents haven't been able to like things like, you know, equipment repair and things that needed to be had. And the mom was shocked. Well, why didn't you give us the bill? And again, not having conversations about Mm -hmm. money and what the farm expenses are and what the personal expenses are. And so this young couple was devastated, but at least they found out Mm -hmm. that there wasn't room for them financially in this Mm -hmm. farm ranch because it was not viable to support three families. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so there's, yeah. Do you help farmers work through their actual finances to try and get that farm to a viable place? Or is that a separate? Uh, That's that's, that's not in my wheelhouse of skill, but it is in my coach, Glenn Dodgeham. So one of my coaches, Glenn, who lives in Lethbridge, Alberta, is a CPA who's retired from Myers Norris Penny. And so Glenn was, it's a beautiful story. He helped a young farmer over 14 hours of work, uh, navigate his cash flow projections and his risk management so that he could honestly tell his father, dad, I can buy you out for 2 million, but that's the ceiling. No Mm -hmm. more. 
And so there we do have capacity within our team to do that. And we do, I do have lots of uh, colleagues in my network, Jared, with the Canadian Association of Farm Advisors, where we can point people in the direction to do that. But mm-hmm. everybody listening to this podcast, if they don't have a good handle on their financial cash flow projections and the profitability or which enterprises in their farm are profitable, which aren't, they should be able to get a good chunk of that information from their accountants. Yeah. But not necessarily. It depends what kind of financial savvy they have and how good their record keeping is. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Um the housing thing, we touched on it just a little bit. How is the importance, how is housing a clarity that needs to be figured out with the farm? And is that not a individual person's responsibility, I guess, to figure that okay, out? So uh, if you're a dairy farmer listening yeah. to this or a rancher listening to this, I bet the farm corp owns your house. Mm-hmm. So who pays for the renovations and upgrades? And why do you need to have uh a jacuzzi or a hot tub, or why do you need to have, you know, a better kitchen or, you know, I have stories of women living with mice in their house. Like there's all kinds of conflict around what is necessary housing and what's a dream house or, and who makes those decisions. Right. And why would you pour $40,000 into a house that you don't own if you can't ever get your equity back out of that? Mm -hmm. So that, that is a, that's a huge source of conflict and also a navigation of people's expectations. I once had a woman come up to me after a seminar. She said, Elaine, my daughter-in-law wants to build a $600,000 house, but we only want the budget to be 400 grand. What can we do? I said, well, show me the plans. Can you knock the porch off? And I, I just said that facetiously. I, was, I wasn't making a joke because it is serious, but yeah. it's about going back to the drawing board and saying, this isn't, this is workable in the budget or this isn't Yeah. right. And the other thing is too, Jared, is you don't know what the in-laws have for resources unless you ask. I once had a daughter-in-law who had a seven figure income Wow. from her off-farm work in, yeah. in, uh, let's just call it online sales of something. I won't go any further in describing sure. how she's making that kind of money, but she was very wealthy. Unfortunately, her husband took no salary from the farm. I said, you can't keep doing this. He said, why? Because you're training your father to use you for free. And when your wife doesn't have this income anymore or decides to stay home and raise children or changes her, whatever income stream, Mm -hmm. you're going to be looped, Charlie, because you, you're not buying anything of equity. You're just coasting along with the income that's coming from one side of the family. So you can't make assumptions, Jared, on what resources the team, the couple has, unless you can talk about what is a realistic use of those resources. And and in in different parts that I work with, like parts of Ontario, parts of BC that have high urban pressure and developmental pressure, there's rules around how many houses can actually be on a certain piece of land. Mm -hmm. And then you have people say, well, Elaine, I'm I'm not leaving this house till I go out boots first. I said, well, but you live in a five bedroom house. There's only two of you now. And the cows need to be checked at midnight. Are you still checking the cows at midnight when you're 80 years old? Like, what's the deal here, Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people don't like to be pressed, but it's good to know they have options. Sure. And yeah. maybe they just test them out. Yeah. And then 
I was going to say, and this is maybe just, this is maybe it's an interesting conversation because we've been fortunate that we have multiple farms on our house. So both my dad and myself are, it's never been something that I've considered to be an issue, but I imagine because you're bringing it up as an important topic to clarify that a lot of farms, maybe the younger generation is forced to live in town, I suppose, and drive 10, 15 minutes out to the farm every day. And that's definitely not maybe a long-term lifestyle they want to live. And then some people listening to this live in isolation. I had a woman who refused to move 80 miles from the nearest grocery store. Hmm. She said, Elaine, I can't do that. I can't be in that place. Yeah. I, it's not good for my mental health. I bet so a there's a lot too. of layers of, of yeah. complexity. And the other piece that we could spend a whole other hour on, Jared, and people can go to my YouTube channel at Farm Family Coach. And that's the whole piece around finding fairness in yeah. farm transition. Yeah. So here's my question. Mm -hmm. What does fairness look like to you? Mm -hmm. And what do we do in this farm family to help everyone in this family be successful? Yeah. Okay. And you will not hear me use the word equal because sure, that sure. is struck from the vocabulary of agriculture. Equitable might be a different term you want to use, but does everyone feel that they understand why certain decisions have been made, why the farm is being kept intact? And do they also understand the risk and the debt and the stress and the opportunity and the possibility that the younger successive generation, the farming people are taking compared to those who left and said, goodbye, I'm never coming back. Have a nice life on the farm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is that something that you, you ask, what are your goals with farmers or do you try to help them like... I don't know. Some people seem to have the mindset that they are just going to split it equally. Is that something where you're like, well, well again, that's, that's, fine, a, but... that's a family assumption or a family secret. And so my, my question is, where is it written that it's a good idea for the parents to strive to make all of their children economically equal? Yeah. The other part of that question is what do you owe your children? And in my seminars, people say, we've given them uh, education. We've get, we've launched them. We've taught them to be in, independent. They have a great work ethic. We owe our children nothing. Yeah. But then you will have people who are from across the pond who have what I call the European culture. We have four children. They will get exactly the same. And I go, well, all the best with that. Yeah. Your daughter, the dentist, your father, your, your son, the veterinarian and, uh, the other uh, daughter, the doctor, and your girl, and the other one who's an engineer, who all have professional degrees and are doing really well financially. Very, you know, what do they expect? And when I have conversations with them, Jared, this is what they say: Elaine, I want my mom and dad to have a decent life and to finally enjoy the fruit of their labor. Mm -hmm. Anything that I get from my parents' estate or the farm is a bonus. But please, would you tell my mom? to start taking it easier and to go on a trip to Europe, to Italy, to go to cooking school with her girlfriend, because yeah. dad's not going anywhere. And where yeah. is it written that women in agriculture cannot go on trips by themselves or with friends? So you see what, what in coaching we say, counseling is about recovery. Coaching is about discovery. And my role as a coach is to help facilitate hard conversations, mm -hmm. not to decide what the answers are going to be. Yeah. Because Jared, yeah. everybody's life has different layers of complication, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I have a, I have a child. I haven't told you about my daughter very much. 
but my daughter has a mental disability and cannot work. So she volunteers. So her life will never have the same financial capacity as her brother. Does that mean she's unhappy? No. She has a trustee. She's met her financial trustee. She knows what our will says, and she knows how she will be taken care of as she ages. Mm -hmm. But there's many families listening to this who have a special needs child or someone who's going to need extra care. Mm -hmm. Well, those are conversations you should be putting in place now. Yeah. They won't yeah. just happen by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, just when you start going through these conversations with people asking tough questions, engaging, you know, in conversations, what are the typical responses or do you, do you have a lot of openness and receptiveness or is there a lot well, of struggles? We, we prepare them for the Jared. So the first thing we do in our coaching process, which would be helpful for your listeners to understand is we, we have one-to-one, -one, like what, like with you, I would talk to you and your spouse first. Then I'd talk to your brother. Then I'd talk to your parents and we'd have an hour to 90 minute conversations with each of those groups privately first to get really clear about what your intentions are and what your expectations are and what your questions are. Then when we pull you together into a facilitated family meeting, we pass around this beanie baby bull talking stick and whoever holds the bull literally or figuratively through the zoom call gets to ask questions. We also record what people's expectations are of a good meeting. What do you need to find out in this particular meeting? What it, what would make a good outcome? Outcome, And quite often it's communication. Elaine, I just need to know what are the timelines? Elaine, I need to know when is dad ready to start sharing some of the equity? Or is that something that's not going to happen until he passes? And it's really breaking down assumptions, Jared. But it's also giving people permission and language around, I'm just curious, mom, what does a good day look like to you on the farm when you're 75? Do you want to stay living on the main yard? What's an ideal scenario for you? And the reactions you get, I get a lot of tears and I'm fine with tears, Jared, because tears are the expression of emotion and deep longing. And in Proverbs, it says longing deferred or heart def hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I want every farmer listening to this podcast to know that they have hope. Mm -hmm. So if they're butting heads with the founders and they're not getting what they want, then, and they can't bring the founders to the table, then I suggest coaching just for them and looking at what are your other options. Go into a joint venture like one of my coaches has with a non-related party. I just talked to a, an old client yesterday. He said, Elaine, I'm looking at leaving because you told me 10 years ago that my parents were likely going to be pretty stuck in their ways and not change. And you were right. that's what the future <laughs> has become. Yeah, yeah, right. And I'm not a prophet. I just have an intuitive sense of people's, re so there's two things, Jared, readiness and willingness. And we use the tool from Michael Pantalon. Its book is called Instant Influence. On a scale of one to 10, Jared, with 10 being really ready, what is your number for wanting to passionately work with your brother on this farm? And you say, oh, Elaine, I'm a nine. And your brother says, oh, Elaine, I'm an 11. I'm ready to do this with Jared. Well, then I have some concrete idea how, how aligned you are. But if your dad says two, then I'm going, Charlie, 
Why didn't you pick a lower number? And he has to justify why he's resistant to making change. So that's that happened to me with a young woman who was terrified about having to financially support her parents into their old age because they were not taking care of their personal wealth bubble and had no plans for long-term care or where they were going to live and all those other things. And I said to him, the dad, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being really ready and willing, how ready are you to go to a financial planner to, to upgrade your personal wealth? He said, Lane, I'm a two. I said, mom, where are you at? She said, Lane, I'm a nine. And I looked at the daughter and she says, Elaine, I am gone. Because she got very clear within that meeting of the reluctance and the stubbornness of her parents not to take care of their own financial affairs. And she sent me a beautiful Christmas card three months later. Jared said, thank you for helping me leave. So sometimes it's not about pulling families together to be in business together. Sometimes it's about helping them understand If you think you're stuck now and you're going to stay stuck for the next 10 years, maybe you don't want to stay in this place. Yeah. Well, I think that's the beautiful thing of this whole, this three steps is the clarity allows you to make the decision at that point. You at least have clarity. based on data. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you know you're going to get $40,000 a year and you're expecting, you're not going to get a house till they pass away and they're going to split the farm equally, that sucks. But at least you can make a decision based on it. And if you know the opposite and everything looks good, you're like, okay, we're good, <laughs> I guess. Or at least then maybe you need to go to the next step of getting things in writing of some sort too. I, well, write, written agreements, and we can do a whole other new podcast, Jared, on wills and power yeah. of attorney and who are the guardians of your children. But it saddens me every time I meet a young couple who doesn't have risk protection. They don't have wills. They haven't got guardians for their children. They haven't talked about where the money is actually going. And we have a lot of judgment happening in the in-law factor side of, Elaine, you should see how many Amazon packages are on her doorstep. I go, well, maybe she's got a business she's running and she's generating $20,000 more income than you know about because she's doing something amazing online. Like who Mm -hmm. knows, right? Mm -hmm. So let's stop making assumptions. Let's be gracious to each other and let's, let's be clear. And as Brene Brown says, I love this line, being clear is kind. Once, like you say, Jared, once you know there is enough money, or if you know there is not going to be enough cash flow for the life that you desire to have, then you have to look at other options or other ways to increase your revenue, right? Yeah. 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 And and I do see, I'm just curious on, on this, do you see a lot of farms that the answer is maybe it's not yet? And so they have to just like they go off and they kind of start their own side thing. I mean, they're not completely disengaging. There's some maybe creative solutions to make something work in the meantime, while they're uh, the older generation figures it out. Is that a common thing? Well, too, it or? depends how long and how patient you want to be, right? Yeah. Because unfortunately things can change with the power of cancer, stroke and heart attack, which is a tragedy of health. Mm-hmm. And in my own family of origin, my father got Alzheimer's in his mid eighties and started putting the cornflakes box in the refrigerator. And so that was hard for me to watch, but we made a plan with home care and he did get good care eventually. But these are all health-related things that drive change. So you're much better off to have somebody in the family, and it's typically the younger generation 
and a lot of times it's women, not necessarily, who become what I call the champions or the driver of the process. They're the ones that make sure, let's meet with our coach. Let's have a family meeting. Let's get this decision decided. Okay, we've got we've got our estate plan kind of cleaned up. And a lot of people say, well, Amy, we won't, don't want to do our estate plan until we've had some transition planning meetings. I said, fine, but you need a basic will to take care of any crisis that could happen. I, I buried my sister when she was 23, Jared. She was killed by a drunk driver, newly out of university, November 13th, bang, gone. Wow. And so I buried my mother when she was 65, asthma attack, middle of harvest, two weeks in palliative care, bang, gone. So, you know, when I get intense in my voice about being proactive, it's because I've lived through loss, many different kinds of loss. And I want families to understand you make plans and agreements about what you know now. And as you continue down the journey, you keep tweaking and making those plans and agreements better. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you keep avoiding the, the tough conversations, yeah. you're going to wake up like the woman I just talked to last week, Elaine, I made a big mistake. I never met the accountant and I never got into our finances. My husband was very, in quotes, old school. <laughs> and now she's in a pickle because he's no longer of sound mind. Yeah. No, it's a very <laughs> complicated conversation. I like what, I mean, it's interesting. We haven't actually hardly talked about a transition at all. We haven't really addressed what the actual transition looked like. We kind of just addressed the clarity questions we need to have to decide, okay, are, do we, do we have the clarity? Are we, are we good with where we're sitting and stuff that we can actually go down this path of transition? And that's going to have to be another conversation probably. To well, and if people would just think I, I have these three baby links, Jared, that I like to hold on to for my, for my professional speaking when I do conferences mm -hmm. and think about your family circle. Who's in the family circle and how do you want to intentionally improve the life of your family? And then think about the management circle, which is the business, the farm or the ranch. And then think about the ownership circle. And the other thing is, is in, in some families, it's all or nothing. Well, you just have to wait till I die and you'll get it all. No, you don't. You can have transfer of management and step back without stepping away like Dick Whitman calls it. And he's a wonderful webinar on that on what that looks like when your roles shift. And you can start transferring ownership now in, in a range in, in terms of shares or parcels of land or pieces of equipment. There's, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be a journey. Yeah. And you know, in our case, our son has purchased our Boise Main Select Seeds cleaning and certified seed business. He's invested in a new seed plant. They've built a new farm office. We now have tile drainage on our farm. We now have irrigation that we never used to have. But these are collaborative decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's for the good of all. And when you have a successor, it's called the growth effect because I want to also meet the listeners on your on your airwaves who don't have a successor. Because yesterday I had a young farmer said, Elaine, do you know anybody who's looking to adopt someone? as a joint venture partner, our son has adopted Jared. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big, a big uh, fan of joint ventures between parties who are compatible and who both want to grow together in the same direction. Yeah. And that's Lydia Carpenter's story. And she's one of my top coaches and is really happy to talk to any young farmers who want to figure out more about what it's like to start a farm from scratch 10 years ago, 
and what it's like to continue forward with a very benevolent, gracious joint venture partner. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that <clears throat> I was just having that conversation with a guest I had a few weeks ago, Clint Fisher, of a scenario where somebody had no off farm or no on farm, no family heirs, I guess, and they were working with a non-family heir and stuff. And it's a seems to be a conversation that more and more people are having and and stuff, and or at least that many people could have if they chose not to just sell off if that was a goal of theirs. And it it's interesting. My dad, when I grew up, he always said, you know, if you want to farm great, I'd love to help you. But if you don't, don't expect anything. I'm going to find somebody else who wants to manage this well. And he's always been in the perspective of God has blessed me with this to steward and manage well. And I don't feel the best stewardship of this is to just sell it off and give you guys the money. It's to keep it managed well. And so especially when you've spent four decades, like my husband is his 44th crop, Jared. So you know, when you've, you've taken the land and put the organic matter back in and you've mm-hmm. treated it well and, and done the best you can to make it the most productive and be a good steward. It's, and, and again, it's also what your value system is, because as far as I know, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Mm-hmm. So you're not taking it with you when you die. And a lot of people don't want to talk about when they die. And so how do you want to, how do you wish to be remembered and what do you want to be rich in? And quite frankly, I want to be rich towards God and rich in relationship. And I do the work I do because my my personal experience and succession planning has been very wonderful on one side and not so great on the other. Mm -hmm. And so people say, oh, Elaine, you don't understand. I said, well, just try me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's just look at let's just look at what that might be. And so I, I used to say it's your farm. It's your family and it's your choice. And I now say, let's all work together to make good decisions, to find harmony through understanding. And that's where Mm -hmm. helping people have the conflict language, Jared, and and helping them have a sense of choosing is is really what I want to give them the, the, the tools for as a coach. So to that end, I'm developing a membership site. The wait list is now open and it will launch um, on October 19th. And I'm building a community of families that I can coach live and, and people all across North America who will have more access to me and our team so that we can help them in this journey. Cause you've used the word complicated more than once. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's for sure. Well, I, I, while we're there, I guess, yeah, share, share where people can find more information about you, where they can find your books, where they can find this site, kind of share a bit about that. So all they have to remember is farmfamilycoach.com and that will direct link you to my website. I'd I'd really love it if they signed up for my blog, which comes out every week and the alternate weeks, I have my own podcast called the farm family harmony podcast. And um, as you and I are speaking earlier, a lot of us podcasters know each other, because of our desire for agriculture to be a fantastic culture to be involved in. And on TikTok, it's Farm Family Coach. On Instagram, it's Farm Family Coach. So you just have to reach out and you'll find me. And we're happy to give anybody listening to this a free 15-minute discovery call just to hear their current situation, scenario, and story, and what tools we might have to help them move forward and also possibly join the membership site or, or coaching relationship. And we do a lot of our work on Zoom, which of course farmers are now a little more comfortable with. 
Yeah. And I'm boy, amazed when somebody went through COVID and doesn't know what Zoom is yet. That that amazes me every now and well, then I find they, somebody, but yeah. Well, those people have chosen to live life a different way, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also, you know, Penny, Ruby, and Reed are my grandchildren. They call me grandma or Grammy. And um, it's lovely that I can have this conversation with you on mile 16 above the US border. I live right across uh you know, up the way from the International Peace Gardens of North Dakota, mm. but that you and I have the opportunity yeah. to plant the seeds of inspiration and change to farm families all across North America. And I'll be getting back on Zoom tonight at seven o'clock to work with a ranch okay. family from Montana. So cool. that's how our life has gone in terms of wanting to help be the facilitators of, of the journey of transition planning for families. And we want families to have success. So thank you so much for the time you've given me today. And just yeah. ask folks to just, you know, type my name if they can spell F-R-O-E-S-E. -E. Yeah. You can see Finding Fairness in Farm Transition on my YouTube channel. You just have to Google Finding Fairness in Farm Transition or just go to farmfamilycoach.com and there'll be links for you to find me. Cool. Uh, well, one last question I'd like to ask all my guests, just because it's always interesting to hear what resources people recommend. And you've mentioned a few throughout here. So if there's any of their, those that are your favorites, or if there's other ones, I'm curious if there's two, three, four, and that can be books, podcasts, your conferences, resources in general that you think people got to check out if this is a topic they're thinking a lot about. Well, one would be Dick Whitman's Farm Management Binder. You can get it at whitmanconsulting.com. And Whitman is W-I-T-T-M-A-N, Whitman Consult. And he, Dick has used to teach at Texas TPAP and has done a lot of consulting in the U.S. and Canada and just very practical tools. I have his entire toolbox because I've trained uh, with Dick and have access to that. So that would be one. Mm -hmm. um, my own books, I've authored five books and they're all eBooks. The one that you can get on Audible is called Building Your Farm Legacy. So if you're working cows or moving the herd around or whatever you're doing, you can just listen to building your farm legacy on audible. And the other piece would be um, my favorite podcast, I guess, or farming for profit, um, profit is one of my favorites just because of uh, the, the expanse and, and the width of they, you know, they want farmers. They to do a good job. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I'm speaking, yeah, and and I, if you're part of a cooperative or a farm bureau in your state and part of the young, young farmers group, please reach out to me because I would love to, I'd love to see you face to face. Uh, when I, when I go to conferences, I do a thing called coach on call in the hall, where I do 30 minute lasers coaching sessions if I'm not speaking. And I'm also have done four workshops for the South Dakota Farm Bureau that were day long workshops, which is also good because people can text me. And that's the other thing, Jared, there's nothing that you can text me that will surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet. No, I bet you've seen it all. Um, yeah. well, this is, this has been great. It's, it's been good to talk to you. I've heard you on so many podcasts. I think even when we started having some of our transition calls, my dad and, and has talked to you. Um, and so it's great to meet okay. you and have you on. Thank you so much. I know you're going to share a lot of value with people who listen to this. So thank you. Right. And just remember, take one day at a time and remember each day is a gift because, you know, I just, I just really want families to have that sense of hope that they're that they have an opportunity to change their language, do conflict better and 
have the life they've always wanted on their farm. So thanks for this time, Jared. It's been really fun. See you next time. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.